0: Hello and welcome back once more into the Gaming Under the Influence pub. It's been a little while, but what's nearly a year and a global pandemic between friends? All of a sudden, Final Fantasy XIV has blown up, and is currently getting record numbers of active players. Coincidentally, I've returned to the game and sunk almost every moment of my free time into its charming and effervescent if vast and seemingly bottomless world this i think has been the perfect timing in a lot of ways for the goofy gigantic chocobo riding simulator what with its new expansion cresting the near horizon like the billy O T and blizzard activision's toxic work culture so potent in its poison that a woman tragically took her own life in place of enduring its wretched and unforgivable malice any longer. Actually, I'm not so sure that even the most die-hard WoW-hating-every-class-level-8-T-Final Fantasy player would be anything but appalled and saddened by that, even if it did drive more players to the game. But as dense, explorable, and infinitely worthwhile as it would be to delve into the topic of cretinous and vile workplace practices in the American game companies. I'm neither qualified nor confident I could do that topic much justice. So, let me whisk you away instead. Let's go on a bit of an adventure and try and figure out why this realm even got reborn. I, like you, and just about every other game enthusiast I know, and I say game enthusiast because the word gamer as easy as it would be to use is so thoroughly soiled it feels like putting on Caesar's toga after Brutus threw him a knife party. Anyway, we get this annual or maybe biannual craving to sign up to a fresh new MMORPG and just lose ourselves, if only for a while. For years, this came with quite a significant barrier to entry A lot of them offer free trials, but these often fall into the great snare of disappointment. By this, I mean that when you're playing the free trial of an MMO, you can feel the absence of its features that are locked off from you. And this causes you to feel like the experience you're having is inadequate. It's not the experience the game was designed to deliver. So you get two options, quit while you're disappointed Start to pay to play. Pay my subs, daddy! But here's why it's a snare, though you pay your subs or get a rich enigmatic widower who recently came into a fortune after her second husband passed away under suspicious circumstances and she just happens to find your youth and passion for copious amounts of English gin engaging and sexy and she wants you to be happy and she'll pay your subs for you then oh no the features that were locked away weren't actually all that important or interesting, otherwise they wouldn't have been able to be locked away in the first place. So my first beleaguered point is that Final Fantasy navigated away from this by giving new players a free trial that honestly makes other games bashfully blush and reach for the lube. It is outrageous the sheer volume of content that you can engage with you essentially get about 60 hours in just the main quest alone, maybe more. Not to mention job quests, uh, crafting quests, gathering quests, side quests, optional quests, raids, dungeons, and whatever the fuck goes on at the Golden Saucer. It's big, free, and loads to do. Like an all-you-can-eat buffet at an orgy. Note, uh, the buffet and the orgy are sanitarily distant and distinct. But... Just what the fuck is this realm that, like Dionysus himself, was twice born? Doth it also bear a two-faced nature? Will it make wine from the vine that sprang from its homosexual lover's blood? Oh, weirdly, my triumvirate questioning about the good and drunkenness does connect in a sort of strange way. The game reeks of charm. It wafts from its writing and sprinkles from its visual design. So now it's the inevitable time for me to tell you about my beloved character. Just like I cornered you at a role-playing convention with my tea-stained character sheet in hand and a look that says, You're going to love this. But with an intensity that tells you, You surely will not. Vaguda de la good. There are some jokes I will always find funny. No matter how many times they come up, get told to me, or are told by me. The oldest joke in the book is a simple dichotomy. This is actually not true. The actual oldest joke in the book is about a young girl farting on a man's lap. The Gouda de la was the name of the first character I made when I played the game about eight years ago on the PlayStation 4. He was a dinky little Lalafell. Uh, a fell. Just Im- imagine if uh, Anime got to a crossbreed of a Hobbit and a Who from Whoville and he was inexplicably a tank. <laughs> His quest even eventually gave him straight up bondage gear as I was playing through it and it uh, <laughs> It gave him the look of a professional little person dominating the fuck out of giant crabs that for some reason were just drawn to his manly aura, refusing to target the sort of more hunky giant spellcasters in my party. Anyway, coming back to the game. I refuse to lose the fantastic name Vaguda De La Guda. Go on, say it out loud. It's a treat. Vaguda De La Guda. So I put together a new character with the same name. This time I went as small as possible, making her a little lady, making her look as gentle and as feminine looking as possible, you know, beautiful little makeup, soft curly hair. Which is, you know, it's very fucking possible to make something look cute and feminine when you're playing a little Who Hobbit. Naturally then I made her a pugilist and proceeded to punch my enemies to death in the middle of the desert. While I still find this hilarious, even now as a level 50 something monk, I was pleasantly surprised to find the game had kind of beaten me to it. So when you join the Pugilist Guild, you quickly discover the toughest character in the Pugilist Guild is also a Lalafell as well, as is the sort of main antagonist of the questline. They gently play around with expectations and stereotypes quite a lot in that way. In fact, a lot of the time they often ignore them. There are big, chunky races that looked like you know they were made to be fighters, but you'll often find them the head of the culinary guild. There's the little Lalafel, which you'll often find, like Zed, heading up the pugilists, and so on. Humor in this game can vary, but I was very happy to see that it leaned a little bit into the filth. Immediately from the get-go, we had jokes about manhoods, illicit meeting, whorehouses, and dancing catgirls. For a mainstream MMORPG gets its horn on a bit, and that's refreshing. To get tangential here, there is a sort of child-proofing of the internet and online culture that, well, it's, it's not happening, it's already finished, it's happened. Everything has to be safe, and checked, and ruled by an American Midwest Bible mum standard. That's why YouTubers have little in the way of teeth anymore and and tend to fall into droning territory. But it also leads to an accidental kind of censorship. Like how YouTubers can speak about the details of Blizzard's Activision, but only to an extent. Because the details of Blizzard Activision's uh, alleged uh, offenses are so vile and reprehensible that their little video would be demonetized. I suppose that sexual torture and suicide doesn't sound great to advertisers trying to peddle a new skin cream to add to the lengthy repertoire that has become your necessary daily routine, you saggy, wrinkly, bespotted bitch. Alright, let's get back to the game. I found myself quite easily playing the game like I would a single player RPG. The story, uh, when it shows its head between the massive early-level fetch questing, is pretty solid and stays interesting enough for you want to see what's next. It's not winning any awards, but I've only experienced the base game. I'm to understand the expansion, with the powers of hindsight and experience, take the world-building and story above and beyond. But then again, I I get this from die-hard fans already, whom I think any form of character development will bring them endless pleasure the world doesn't necessarily feel alive or even immersive and there's nothing wrong with that immersion is a sticky old topic that maybe we can get into another time but it's not necessary for an mmorpg to be immersive because it's got a beautiful level of abstraction in a way that it draws you in, less like drawn into a living breathing world and more stepping into a painting. Gameplay wise it's an MMORPG with some action elements, particularly for the pugilist and monk class who have to kind of bayblade around the enemy hitting off their abilities in neat combos. But any grind is offset onto the quests rather than just killing creatures. You'll never have to just go and hunt down the most efficient high XP creature and kill a thousand of them so that you can do the next quest. All the XP is locked into questing. Plus now leveling for new players has been drastically eased, getting a little magic ring that helps you jump through levels faster in the hope that the player will have a character ready for the future content. I even found things like mining and cooking in the game to actually be quite interesting instead of the one click and wait method that other you know misogyny empire run mmos use you get abilities and powers that you can use while gathering making you actually have to think about the order of what you do things and how you use your resources it's not just get this and press craft not really and that will definitely appeal to the runescape refugees who are used to slaving away, staring deep into an unforgiving screen of polygons so sharp they make your monitor bleed as much as the 8,000 ogre you just killed. Let's get all artsy-fartsy. I'm talking about meta metaphors, and how their game relates back to modern-day Japan. Naturally, the first and most obvious thing would be, A Realm Reborn! Why, surely Hiroshima and Nagasaki were realms reborn, arguably all of Japan, post-war. And yes, while this did come to my mind, particularly after recently visiting both Nagasaki and Hiroshima, respectively, I don't think the argument is very interesting. Well, it's, it's there. It, it exists, just as any argument with enough imagination and information. I don't want to make it. As I'm... It's, it's sort of a more tired concept than hentai jokes at an octopus cafe. I want to talk about jobs. Just as I said not two seconds ago, with enough information and the power of imagination, you can construct a grand old argument from anything. And this is a little true of what I'm about to say. I want to argue that the job system is the true fantasy being projected in this game. In Japan, a real job is like a sort of canvas bag from the supermarket. It's supposed to be for life. You have your fun in high school whilst rigorously fitting in and being good. You get a taste of freedom at university. You know you can dye your hair, get some piercings, and then bam. There's hair dye sold to be interview standard black. I'm not even kidding. There's an interview standard of what colour your hair has to be. There are interview standard suits that come from interview standard companies. There are books on not how to answer the questions in an interview, to get across who you are and what you can do, but on the actual fixed answers to each question in the interviews. Interviews in Japan are a rehearsed performance and it's about who plays the role best. Then, once you're with your company, and you are now your company, it's time to make the company better at any expense to yourself. Because as before, you don't have a self anymore. The thing is, most Japanese people I know will tell you that they like to work. They enjoy putting in the effort and time and watching the fruits of their labor unfold, only to do it again. Hard work is its own reward, and Japan is very much a country of you live to work, rather than working to live. There is a Fujisama level of issues and related effects to this, and connections to the aforementioned rebuilding of Japan. But for the sake of this little gaming podcast, we're going to return once more to the game. Final Fantasy offers you several jobs and roles, all of which are critical and needed by other people in the game. The crafting and gathering jobs are all codependent. If everyone just stopped fishing, the culinary guild would go belly up. If miners stopped mining, the goldsmiths would be reduced to peddling cement earrings and plasticine necklaces. The same goes for combat classes, but in a more obvious gamey way. Tanks tank, healers heal, In a case of my little monk, DPS, run off the edge of the boss arena and die. Because they didn't know that would happen. The jobs support one each other, much like the real-life counterparts of the sort of collectivist corporate culture. But the fantasy doesn't come from just that. The biggest aspect is that at any time, anywhere in the game, you can switch your job at the press of a button. This is not only liberating from that other popular MMO whose corporate patriarchy is the least collectivist and more chauvinist where you are forced to start the entire game again with a different character every time you want to try new mechanics outside of your class. But it's liberating as an idea. Here in this vast and fantastical world, you can be whatever you want, whenever you want. You can work hard and see the benefits of the work, not only in the sweet little victory chime of a level up, but knowing that you're being a net positive to the other players in the community. This could be a very sweet dream for someone on the corporate 996. 996, by the way, is working 9 till 9, 6 days a week. The community is also a bit of fresh air for me. As you know, I come from a kind of League of Legends background as my primary source of online gaming, so my skin is more hide-like in thickness, and my expectations are more misanthropic than a pub service staff the night England lost. I mentioned earlier that I legit fell off the map in the middle of a boss fight. I apologised profusely in chat, but no one seemed to care. I fell off a cliff again in a dungeon at one point, and then aggroed everything in its mum as I was trying to run back up to my party. A bunch of us died, but they didn't say a single bad thing. One time I just died because I wasn't paying attention to the mini-boss, and I had to stand outside the arena while my team struggled to beat it without me. Afterwards, the healer gave me a wave when I came back in, popped a little buff on me, and off we went. Another time, I got someone coming to my real-life door in the middle of a dungeon that I was doing for the very first time. I was desperately trying to speed him up in his conversation as much as I could, but it was quite important concerning our electricity bills and stuff. And so when I rushed back, I was trying to catch up with my party and I was really generally expecting to get some flack. Again, I profusely apologized in chat, but they said it's fine and they were all just kindly waiting for me and we carried on and beat the dungeon like adults. I don't know if it's because I'm a new player and I have a little green sprout next to my name or, or what, I don't know. But I've, I've had nothing but nice interactions. I will say, though, that people generally aren't very chatty in this game. I guess if they're going to talk to people, they've got their own discords and their own friends and the chat function obviously slows things down. But for the most part, they're also just a generally quite patient and kind. And I hope this level of quiet friendliness can survive in the influx of refugee players from that game that was developed by sex criminals. In short, I've just had a pleasant and perfect experience with the game so far. It hits the spot of being able to jump in and jump out, but also the much bigger spot of wanting to play a single game all day. Plus, it really is still funny, seeing my one foot high punchy girl treated like the chosen warrior of god before we jump into the drink section i want to mention about my patreon and future projects and ideas some of you guys are still subscribed to my patreon after all this time i very much appreciate it but you are welcome to leave at any time don't worry about it Every penny from that Patreon has gone into finding new and interesting games uh, that are sort of swilling at the bottom of the Steam library vault. Two of which I've actually been recording the entire playthrough as I've played them. So I'm looking into doing actually a couple of video podcast episodes in the near future. So you've got a little bit of something to look at. Also, I've basically left Facebook. So come find me on either Instagram or Twitter. Links in the description. So here is a part where we take the aforementioned game and try and find its various alcoholic pairings. I like to figure what the drink the game would be, what my character in the game would order at the bar, and what drink goes best when playing the game itself. Though I think MMORPGs are so vast and precipistic that simply giving it one drink, it just is nigh impossible. He said, I'm gonna imagine the entire game some kind of mad theme park sequence bar. So imagine you're walking past this club one night because you've never been able to get in before, when suddenly you see that it's not only bustling, but the line is pretty fast. Yeah, well, you say either have the cash or a place like that, and you notice they aren't taking any money at the door. All you have to do is wear this little sprout plant headband and you can pop in for free. So fuck it, eh? Hey. Why not? You get in. The place is enormous and immaculately decorated. There's a dance floor in the middle, but to get to it, you have to navigate all kinds of sort of tables and chairs, and stairs going up, curtains, bars. When you approach the bar, the barman seems to be teleporting around from one side to the other to another patron. It's utter hallucinogenic madness, but the atmosphere is strangely pleasant. Eventually, you manage to corner a member of staff and order a drink. The second you taste it, you notice a door opening, a door to the stairwell. You second glance at the dance floor full of strange people and even stranger clothes all coalescing as your eyes drift around the room where a bunch of the other patrons and staff members alike are just all seemingly and subtly trying to catch your eye to draw you back over to their little section. The drink hits you quickly and you feel loose and free. You flutter about the tables for a while, starting conversation here and there, and chatting and maybe having a drink or two, but eventually the sort of allure of the stairway and what else there is gets you up into that first floor. And there you are, stood in the stairwell. A plaque on the wall reads, Floors 1 to 80. From this section of the building, the light sounds and smells emanating from your own floor to the barely visible mightiest miles above of the 80th floor are exciting, entrancing, and intimidating in equal measures. But with a few more drinks and a special ring from the doorman that lets you ride the, sca- the scare lift, <laughs> you begin your ascent. The floors are still a bit sticky though. Now! What drink would my sweet but psychotically violent little Fell drink? Vaguda de la Well, a little sherry in a proportionally sized sherry glass would be simultaneously adorable and classy. But it wouldn't suit her. She's, after all, a monk and a miner in nine equal measures. A hard, tough broad with the bicep strength of a Scottish timber tosser. She'd not only take a frothy, extra-strength flagon of lager... She would upgrade it to a German Steiner. She'll down the first one to line her stomach and order two more. She would be barely visible while carrying the drinks, which would work great in her favour, as she could start a fight with anyone who bumped into her, which would be everyone. She is a foot tall, after all. What then should you drink while playing the game? My summer drinks of choice have been rather tragic, been pineapple chuhai. Recently, this vile Japanese moonshine has been giving me transcendently bad hangovers. Hangovers that exclusively just affect my mind and its ability to feel any form of happiness. I literally borrow happiness from the next day using the bank of chuhai. Ugh. So I'd say match a drink with your intention that night. A beer you don't mind getting warm like Bombardier or Boddingtons if you're doing a dungeon or a raid. An ice-cold glass of white wine for doing side quests while you listen to podcasts. A sweet cold vodka, lemon, and bitter apple for the main story quest to match the simply presented complexity with a controllable strength and a summer-loving sweetness. And that, gentle viewer, is the end of our show. Well, thank you for making it to the end of the episode. Patreons, Twitters, and Instas are all in the description. But please consider rating the podcast and, of course, subscribing. Tell a friend about it if you think it's their sort of thing. I'm going to leave you with a question this time. If your local bar or pub gave out quests, what quest would they give? DM me your messages. Until next time, stay safe, drink responsibly and try not to commit serious sexual crimes in the process of making games.